KYW Original Podcasts. This is the Flashpoint Podcast. I'm Flashpoint host, Cherry Gregg. Hey, y'all, we are walking you through the flames. This week, the focus is cuffing season. Ever heard of that? Well, yeah, it's a thing. I don't really want to be snowed in alone. Tips on choosing the perfect hypermate. Really looking at actions and not just words. You don't know what you want and you don't know what you need. Whoever you choose may be a disaster. How you can get serious about your winter love before you get frozen out. Then a former Philly drug lord is headed to the TV screen. When I look back on that now, I was not in my right frame of mind. The soccer mom who ran a drug rank. How she's now giving back. We'll be right back. Flashpoint is sponsored by the Gift of Life donor program. Organ donors save lives. Register today at donors1.org. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. The focus is cuffing season. Ever heard of that? The Urban Dictionary defines it as a time period in the fall and winter months where people who would normally rather be single find themselves desiring a relationship or to be cuffed by a significant other. Now, these October to March situationships sometimes develop into long life coupling. So if you or someone you know is looking for love, how do you get cuffed? before the holidays. With me in the studio to discuss this flashpoint is Dr. R.G. Allen Wilson. She's a nationally known relationship therapist who's founder of Connections Matter. We also have Kevin Carr, dating expert and author of Date Responsibly. We have Amber Wanner, founder and CEO of Candidate, a job recruitment and dating firm. And finally, on the phone, we have Joe Elliott, a professional matchmaker and dating coach who's owner of Sweet Beginnings. Everybody, welcome to Flashpoint. Thanks for having having us. us. Thank you for having me. So y'all are the power team to help us single folk couple up for the winter. So Dr. RG, why do single people all of a sudden want to lock it down in the fall? You know, the summer, you know, you're frisky, you're hanging out, you're having a good time. And fall is sort of thinking about, okay, we're going to be a little cold, you know, it might be a little chilly. I want to connect, right? And quite frankly, the idea about being lonely or being alone, when you think about it, people who are single often tell you that they're fine throughout the week, but Friday night, Mm -hmm. right, going into the weekend is usually the time when they're thinking, well, am I going to hook up with anybody? Like, what's that going to look like for me? Just being connected. Connections do matter. We're born to be relational. And for those people who are not, then they need to find other things to do. I'm not suggesting that just because you're not in a relationship, there's something wrong with you because I hate that concept. I believe that when you're ready to be in a relationship and you have the skills to be healthy in a relationship, that's when the person for you will show up. Amber, is this a uh, urban myth or do you really feel it at your business when the temperatures start to shift? I actually found something about cuffing season, if you guys want me to share it. August 1st to the 31st is scouting. (laughs) So it's where you're looking for a partner online. September 1st to the 30th is drafting. So you're picking your top candidates. (laughs) October 1st to the 31st is tryouts. So you go on many first dates. And then uh, November 1st to the 30th is preseason where you're starting to get more serious with with one or two prospects. And then cuffing season, officially, they say, is December 1st to January 15th where you pick your best match to be exclusive for the holidays. Because, you know, honestly, like last year I didn't go to my family holiday because I didn't have anyone. And so I actually chose – not to, which is, you know, kind of sad. 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, the holidays, no one wants to spend the holidays alone. That and, is uh, yeah. real. So we're in draft, full draft <laughs> season. Full draft season. Right yeah. Now. And so, Kevin, I want I like you to jump in like here. Because Kevin is our resident guy on the panel. Yeah. Are y'all drafting people right now? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, because, you know, life tends to slow down a little bit this time of year. Um, you're not as out as much. You're not as um, flirty, right? In summertime, it's like I'm out. I'm out every night. Yeah, and like, like you said, like during the week, it's like work or whatever you do. And during the weekend, it's like, well, especially here on the East Coast, I don't really want to be snowed in alone, mm-hmm. right? And so we're in the summertime and in the spring where you're just kind of engaging. With, yeah, you're, you're engaging with a lot of people. You're... <sighs> You know, your 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 choices, your pool slims down a little bit in, in the wintertime. And so you're trying to find somebody, even if you're not looking for a relationship, like most guys are at least trying to find somebody that they can tolerate being around for a consistent period of time. <laughs> 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 oh, my God. <laughs> it's good to see it from a male perspective. <laughs> <laughs> We're looking for acceptance. <laughs> yeah. Like, I just, I just want to be able to just enjoy my time with you and watch TV. <laughs> Netflix right. and chill yeah. season. Netflix right. and chill. And I know Jill works with folks who are a little shyer. You know what I'm saying? And they hire her to hook them up. A lot of people anticipate the holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, the winter. And they really don't Eve? want to be alone. Mm. You know, they think about family events coming up. Uh, again, like she said, the summer is over. People are back in a normal routine. Uh-huh. And this is when people really try to get serious about, hey, I really want to meet somebody right now. You know, this is my time. And a lot of people who come to me, I've been in the business almost 36 years. So my clients are what I would call old school. A lot of them are not big on online dating. They kind of want somebody to do the work for them. A lot of them are too busy to go online. So basically they hire me to weed out, you know, candidates and do all the screening and set up everything for them. So what do you do, Dr. RG, to get your mind ready but it's draft season. I mean, you you people swiping right, swiping left. Swiping right, It's a left. lot. It's, yeah. it's a lot mentally yeah. to sort of get your mind wrapped around yeah. all of this. Yeah. You got to reset your mindset, right? I, I usually say, girl, get your head right, right? And part of what that means is going in, right? Because a lot of times what happens is we're looking for people on the outside to validate us, mm. right? And that never works. Other people can't validate us. We need to validate ourselves from the inside out so that we can make good choices. Because when we get into that season where we're trying to make the right selection, it has to be a good fit. In the research world, we call it goodness of fit because you could find somebody Mm -hmm. that you think you might be able to tolerate. But if you don't know what you want and you don't know what you need, then ultimately whoever you choose may be a disaster. Mm -hmm. So you've got to figure out, that's the get your head right, girl, get your head right. Figure out what is it that you desire, what is it that you need, and ultimately what is it that you want. And then once you've got those things figured out, then you can make better choices. Even if you have these persons like Candidate, like Amber and the person on, on the line, if you have those persons to help you, you'll be able to have more clarity about sharing with them what your ideal person looks like. Yeah. And I know uh, Amber over here, she sets up tech folks. She sets people up and it's like group events mm-hmm. and people actually find love in all of these places. Mm-hmm. We uh, mirror the recruiting process, and the best way is organically. Like, I I personally think just an interaction organically is so much better than the expectation, the anticipation of going on a date 
And both of you are like, well, so what are your intentions? What are your intentions? Just be in the moment and enjoy yourself. And I think a lot of people also, you know, have been like, does he like me? Does he, does she like me? You know, and, but take a moment to like kind of reset, like you said, and say, you know, think to yourself, do I like them? Like, do they encompass all the qualities that I'm looking for in a partner in life, you know, to, to go through life with? And, yeah, with our events and stuff, like, we really just try to have people meet organically. Like, I may puppet master the whole thing, like, know that this person is going to be good for this person and, you know, mix them with a bunch of other people so they find each other, at you know, based on commonalities and, you know, just common interests that, you know, link one another, you know, them to each other. Yeah. On and the I, job side and the deep side. I have to say, I, I find some people are better online and some people are better in person. You know, and because I know if you're too snarky online, that could like, <laughs> that could scare people out. But you actually uh, did a, a very popular TED talk mm-hmm. um, where you said dating is dead. Explain your, yeah. your, your theory on this. And so what uh, the way our parents and grandparents met and engaged, like life has changed, right? Like I call an Uber here, you know, like I go order my groceries on Instacart. Like the way we in, the way we live life has changed, and so does the way we engage with each other. Um, what we want is still alive in terms of whether it's a marriage or whether it's love or whether it's healthy commitment and how you actually build the relationship. Like that still remains the same, but we can meet people on Instagram. We, you know, the dating pool is now small. I have the opportunity to meet somebody in another country, or so it does afford us the opportunity to develop relationships that we wouldn't have been able to develop maybe 15, 20 years ago. With life, we're okay with it. We're okay with catching Uber. We're okay with streaming our worship experience. But when it comes to dating, it's like, well, I don't want to go online. But life is different. And so it's just finding a balance in that and being able to engage with people in a different manner but still holding on to uh, your values. Yeah. So it's basically dating as we once knew it. Yeah, it's over. The process is different. Yeah, and, and Jill, reaction to that, honey, because people calling you because they don't want to do what Kevin's talking the about. Opposite. My people want to go back to the olden days yeah. where yeah. they want to date. They want to call, the men want to call the woman on the phone. They want to set up a plan for dinner. Uh, let's meet. Uh, the women want the men to initiate everything. Get the process now. started. <laughs> they should. So the people I'm handling are predominantly clients that all they know is the old ways for the most part, and that's what they're comfortable in. So I'm dealing with clients in my particular service that are usually over the age of 45 who have been divorced. I deal with a lot of people who are also widowed, who are just reentering the dating pool after a long absence, and they want to do everything traditionally. And when they're coming to me, they ultimately want a relationship, and a lot of them want a relationship that can lead to marriage. Yeah. And cuff, and cuffing season, though, I mean, Dr. RG, I mean, sometimes this is a temporary situation. <laughs> this is not, you know, can we just, you know, and I'm, yeah. I'm saying because a lot of people, singles, they only want, they, they, they say, yeah, I want to cuff up. But then when it get warm again, I'm trying mm-hmm. to like be out. Yep. And yeah. so you hear what, you know, Jill is saying, you heard dating is dead as it used to be. But how do you make yeah. sure yeah. that this person isn't looking for something temporary while yeah. you're looking for something yeah longer term communication mm. right communication you've, and, and part of communication mm. is and a lot of women think we say we're great communicators i don't really necessarily believe that i think that we're great talkers mm. right and yeah. sometimes we flood 
you guys because we're great talkers. Mm. But in order to be a great communicator, one person has to listen, the other person has to speak, and then you have to determine whether or not the message that's sent is the same message that's heard. Mm. That's where you have good communication, right? And so for a lot of women, right, and if they're in those relationships, we have to determine what is the message that we're communicating. We're communicating that we really want long-term commitment, yet we're engaging with someone who basically is saying, I want to tolerate you for the season. Then you're not going to be on the same page. You're not going to be congruent. So I say, like, be honest, right? We say in uh, Connections Matter, truth, trust, and transparency, well, it leads to transformational breakthroughs. So be truthful with yourself first, right? That creates a level of trust, that leads to intimacy and ultimately transparency mm-hmm. so that you can have a breakthrough. And even if it's a short-term thing, mm-hmm. then go with that. But don't, like, do the bait and switch where the audio doesn't match the video. Amber, you hooked all these people up. Mm-hmm. Do people come back to you and say, look, I got into this situation and now I'm, my feelings are hurt? And how do you make sure you don't get end up like that? Yeah, I think uh, kind of just really looking at actions, you know, and, and not just words. Like I'm one who used to listen to and cling on to words. And I think when you really just evaluate the whole situation, like looking at the person's actions, I I was looking through an old box of things the other day and I found a letter that a guy had written me with flowers and saying, and it was just so heartfelt. And it was from years ago. I can't remember the last time I got flowers from someone. The guy took time to write a letter and send flowers and make me feel special. Like if these guys aren't putting the effort in or girls aren't putting the effort in, like something that we're really big at on it at Candidate is feedback, you know, of the situation. And in order to grow as a human being, whether you're going on a job interview and you don't get it and you want to know why, And same with, you know, going on a date and the person ever calls you back, like just understanding why so you can grow as a human being. And I think we owe it to each other as human beings to, you know, give each other that feedback. Like the ghosting thing is, don't even get me started about this. I call call the ghosting thing fade to black, right? Yeah. Just like fade to black. And of course, if you dated out there, that has happened to like most of us where Mm -hmm. the person just doesn't call you back. I've never done that to anyone. Yeah. But it doesn't feel good if the person ghosts or fades to black. And then somewhere around six, nine months later, then you get a call. And you're Mm. like, really? Yeah. Popping back up. Really? Like, yeah. I think not. There are signs. I mean, like, mm-hmm. if you meet somebody, uh, you're in the draft season, you meet somebody, who's supposed to, because this is like modern dating, yeah. right? Are you supposed to take the lead as a woman? Do you wait for the guy to take the lead? Like, what, what are you supposed to do? I mean, I think mm-hmm. the, one of the most important things that you have to do in dating is to determine what somebody's attentions are, right? And so it's like, first, like Dr. said, you know exactly what you want. So if that's a relationship, wherever you are, you have to first determine that. Determine that. That takes some self-awareness. And then you have to be you have to have the maturity to be able to articulate that to other people, to the people that you're engaging with. And so one of the ways that you determine somebody's intentions, because the reality is sometimes we meet people and they misrepresent their intentions. And so you really want to practice having those transparent conversations, asking, asking those direct questions. And you can do that without putting pressure on people. Think about it. In any other area of life, when we have a conversation, we talk about the things we want, the house we want, the cars we want, the goals that we have. We talk about those things. And so... The same thing goes as you're interacting with people. It's just like you want to get a gauge on are you looking for the same things that I'm looking for? Do you do that right away, though? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, the worst thing is to not do it right away. Yeah, now you're into it and then you realize, yeah. oh, you want something mm-hmm. completely different than I want. And how did I not yeah. get that? And it's not an interview. It's just we're just mm-hmm. having a conversation. I'm talking about the things that I want and I'm getting a gauge on 
do you want the same things? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? And Jill, what do you tell folks? And the saddest thing is a yeah. lot of people can even come into my service and they can sit in my chair and I can interview them and they say, yes, I'm really ready for a relationship, but their head will not let them. In other words, I'll mm. set somebody up, they'll have a wonderful date, you were talking about ghosting, and then the men don't call the women back for maybe two, maybe three weeks, and I'll tell them, you can't just disappear and then call someone back weeks later and say, hey, here I am, and the person's going to say, well, who are you? And at that point, they've moved on. So I say if your intention is to have a relationship, your actions have to prove that. And a lot of people who come to me, they're so wrapped up in their jobs and careers. And when they set up a date with someone, it's like they're making a business appointment. Well, I'll pencil you in in a month from now. And I say, that's not going to work. You know, time to this. You can't just, you know, put somebody in your book when you have time to see them. <laughs> yeah, because that's a that's the other thing. When you're dealing with professionals, mm-hmm. people who are exceptionally busy and literally have priorities, right? But you want to make having a relationship a priority, but literally, I right. mean, your reality you is it's number 15. A certain amount of time yeah. to dedicate to this. If you're going to invest in a matchmaker, regardless if it's me or anyone else you may choose to yeah. use, you have to put aside a certain portion of your time to go out and meet people and to set up arrangements and to be consistent. People always say they want a relationship, and I have people who I know like this, oh, yeah, I really want to have somebody. But then they really don't have time. Like, when can we right. go out? Well... You know, like Jill said, I mean, like three weeks from now, I mean, this is draft season. Do you need to clear your schedule? I mean, well, you yeah. listen, I, I think we make time for the things that are important to mm-hmm. us and the things that we value. And sometimes we need to relocate the time that's designed for something else and put it in another space. Right. And so when we think about space, right, mm-hmm. I have a lot of people in my practice that say, you know, they want a relationship. OK. And I say, OK, well, let's look at all the things that you have going on. You're working on your PhD. You're working in a job. You have a family that you're taking care of. Do you really have space or do you need to relocate some of the things that you say are priorities to create space for the the search to get the right person? I was thinking for a long time before I met that handsome guy over there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And one of the things that my sister said to me was that you are not prioritizing mm-hmm. your time. Mm-hmm. Right. And I had kind of gotten to this place of, oh, I don't really need anybody, you know, because I gotten disappointed. Um, I actually had a guy who said to me, I've never been faithful to anybody in my life. Mm-hmm. And in my head, this is girl, get your head right. In my head, I was like, oh, they haven't met me yet. Mm-hmm. You, yeah. haven't, you haven't met mm-hmm. me. So I thought I could change them. Yeah. That's a to- whole different. That could be a whole segment about why we think we can change people. Yeah. But, and I realized, of course, mm-hmm. I couldn't change him. I needed to change me. Mm-hmm. And then my sister helped me to think about how I was creating space or not creating space. And then she said something was really powerful. She said, no more placeholders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like, what do you mean by that? And she was like, well, you are creating all of these placeholders, all these things that you say are important to you. And even spending time with all of these other people that are not getting you to your ultimate goal. So if you really want to partner, get rid of the placeholders, create space and be intentional. You've been successful in everything else in your life. Be successful at that. Being successful. And I was like, oh, why are you talking to me like that? (laughs) But it's true. And so how do you switch your your mindset to say, you know what, I need to evaluate the situation. You want to find out the person's right for you. 
You have yeah. to invest the time. You have to see them as often as you can, and not just for an hour. Uh, to even pick a day where you're spending a whole day with the person, you're doing extended activities together so you can really get to know the person to really make that determination if yeah. it could be something lasting. Could they? Can you actually tolerate them? Yeah, well, I think that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I have an issue with the tolerance. <laughs> well, I think that in general, right, is that we got to switch the lens and, and how we approach people in terms of life is about connection. Like you mentioned to start off the segment. And so a lot of times when we're dating, we meet people and we great in them. What you do, Greeting. how do you yeah. look, do you make me laugh, blah, 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 right? Where it's just like, we, that does none of that helps us understand the person. Yeah. And as though when we focus on, let me actually sit down, be present, put my phone away, take all the other stuff out, put and then let me, let me see if I can make a connection with this person. And in that connection, I'll determine, do we share the same values? Are we compatible? Is there a little bit of chemistry here? Do we both want the same things? Are we able to build what we say we're looking for? And that starts with our approach. And if we approach people determined to not determine to find a husband, not to determine to find a wife, not that we don't want those things, but I want to connect with another human being and to see if we have common value and common ground to actually build a relationship. If that's yeah. what you're wanting. Yeah. If that's what you want. Because you got to figure out, are you ready for this? Do Is it what you want? And so let's do a quick couple minutes on a lightning round. I want you all to quickly tell me, how do you know if you're better a, a person that's better for online or only in person? Well, I believe you should do both because life is lived offline and online. Yeah. And so the online might be the starting point in how we connect and how mm-hmm. we meet each other. But my advice is to get offline as quick as possible. Yeah. Get it offline. Yeah. Any, I, I, think, I don't think some people, there are some clients of mine to do both. I mean, some people come to me, I would say for the most part, I'm their main supplier. They've tried the online. They supplier. weren't comfortable with it. <laughs> they like the feeding process that I provide because they feel like I'm, and I treat people like family, like I'm like a friend introducing them to a mutual friend. And for other people, they're doing other things. They may be on different sites, but they're using me as an enhancement to what they're already doing. So a lot depends on the individual, but I always tell people, and the more people you have exposure to, the greater your odds of finding somebody quicker. Should you be preparing your social media for this dating season? Should you clean up and put some better photos? Should you be doing, like, preparing yourself yeah. for the Googles that are going to come from that? I yes. think absolutely. And the social media thing is, you know, if you have poor boundaries in everyday life, you're going to have poor boundaries in social media. Yeah. And so I think you need to really evaluate how, who is it that I'm trying to attract? Mm-hmm. Because you're going to attract exactly what you put out in the universe and mm-hmm. social media if that's what you're looking for. So if you're like got, you know, skimpy clothes on or you're dropping it like it's hot, then, you know, then that's maybe what you're going to attract. Maybe you should delete those right? videos. <laughs> <laughs> Some people are like, I want to spend all my time with one person to evaluate first. Or should you date as many people as possible? You have to determine for, for yourself what you yeah. can tolerate. Some people can't tolerate (laughs) dating as many people as possible. Some people are just a one person type of person. And so you have to also realize if you choose to do that, then you might get beyond the draft season and you're still trying to make Mm -hmm. a selection. And then you realize, oh, I spent all this time and energy on this one person and this is not the person. Sometimes it takes a few dates till you really feel that you might want to invest in that particular person. If you feel something's starting to grow eventually to try to take the chance, go out with the one person, see if it goes anywhere, but not necessarily to put all your eggs in one basket right away. I'm big on being honest to say like I'm, I'm navigating dating right now and I'm trying to figure out what's best for me. I enjoy spending time with you. Bear with me while I'm trying to figure out, you know, how to navigate through the dating 
situation. You know, the moment that you're like, I only want to keep spending time with this one person and your heart and your head is like, this is where I want to be, then be honest with the other person. Say, hey, there's someone else that, you know, I just have a stronger connection with, kind of like The Bachelor. And and then quick before we go to our wrap-up, without gaslighting or fading them to black, how, are you, how do you gently, like, cut that connection? I think it's sometimes just simple as, hey, I think you're a great person. I just don't think we're a great fit together. Bam. Boom. Also, it's it's not, not, say, I like you as a friend, but I don't see any romantic <laughs> uh, well, here's the thing. You might not even <laughs> like them as a friend, though. Yeah. You might not. And so just being honest and saying this is not a good fit, and I wish you well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be honest. Anything and be, I can do to perfect. help. Yeah, I, like, yeah. yeah, and because this is Flashpoint, we do need to wrap this up. How do you approach the coupling season in a healthy way so that you can stay happy regardless of whether or not you're successful in getting cuffed? Be intentional. Uh, know exactly what you want, whatever that is, and go into it that way. Keep in touch with me. Website is kevinscard.com. That's two R's. Be present. Know what you want. Take care of yourself. Self-care. Radical self-care is extremely important. So whether you cuff or not, be in a healthy relationship with yourself. Website, www.drrgconnects.com. And I, I would say actions, actions, actions. See what they're doing. Are they going out of their way? Are you going out of your way? Like, you know, and, and reciprocate it to each other. You know, we're all humans and we're trying to go through life together and respect is a really big thing also and uh, my website is uh, www.candidatephilly.com wonderful final word jill respect is very important and if you meet somebody don't play games with them you know don't lead them on to think oh there's any hope be direct be honest if you've met somebody else that you feel is a better fit you have to tell the other person that my website would be www.sweetbeginnings.com info, or you can call me directly at 215-539-2894. Wonderful. Well, I want to say thank you so much to Kevin Carr, Dr. R.G. Allen, Wilson, Amber Warner, and Jill Elliott for coming on Flashpoint and talking about this issue in the news. Me. All right. Bye-bye. Great job, everybody. She's a former drug lord who's headed to the silver screen. I would attend soccer games and basketball games, but my beeper would go off from time to time and I would make sure that transactions were done. A Philly mom's memoir catches the eye of Mary J. Blige. Her story coming up. Hey guys, listen up. When you're done with the show, would you do me a favor? Please provide a review and rate this podcast. And feel free to provide feedback often. We need reviews to push us to the top. Now back to the show. Thanks all. This is Flashpoint, where we talk about the issues that get everyone hot and bothered. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg, and one thing that gets our residents hot under the collar is the drug trade. Well, one woman has made national headlines. Miss Thelma Wright is an advocate for incarcerated women, but she's also a former drug lord. Nicknamed Boss Lady, she took over her husband's Philly-based dope business in the 80s before going straight years later. Now, she's teamed up with singer Mary J. Blige, who will executive produce a show called Philly Rain, based on her memoir called Eyes on Both Sides. Thelma, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you for having me. Mary J. Blige? I mean, are you excited about this? Oh, not only am I excited, I feel very blessed. This is an opportunity of a lifetime and something I never, ever imagined. When I released my book, I never thought that this book would take me where it has taken me today. So what made you decide to share your story in the first place? In the mid-90s, I used to talk to different girlfriends about I should write a book because there were so many different layers to my story. And so I was contacted in 2008. Someone pitched a little bit of what they knew about my story and my husband to someone in L.A. 
and they contacted me and were interested in possibly taking an option to do the story. In 2008, my son, who had already graduated college, he had been out of college like three years by this time, didn't know anything about my story. He knew about his father, but in order for me to sign my rights over to someone, I needed to talk to him. And I also told them that I had been interested in writing a book. So we agreed, okay, I could write a book and they would do a movie, a featured film based on me. But I needed to talk to my son first. So after I talked to my son in 2008 and I told him my story, he said, well, Mom, I know whatever you did, you did for us to survive. I'm good. And once he said he was good, that was it. Yeah. You know. And so let's back up. For folks who have never heard of you and your story, where does this saga begin? I was married to one, dated someone, and then married someone who was involved heavily in the drug trade. In 1986, my son and I were already living in L.A. My husband was missing for a few days, came home. We found his body, had his funeral and all that. And one of his associates talked to me and said, listen, um, he came to pay a debt, which was unusual for that business, that someone would pay a debt for someone who was died. And he said... And we're talking about the drug business, Drug y'all. business, yeah. exactly. They don't, people don't pay that. My husband had a very good relationship with this man. He said, we're going to need to keep on going. That was the furthest thing from my mind. I was living in L.A. with my son. I had started a sportswear company, had a partner. We were doing well. But my husband's connect was here in Philly at the time while I was planning the funeral. And I gave the money to her and I explained that they wanted to keep going. And she said, okay, we can. So you're literally laying your husband to rest rest, and they talking about keeping the drug business going never thought about that never entered my mind about that at all I was gonna take care of my business here and then go back to LA when I talked with her about it she said sure we can do it and I'll show you how to do it and it was pretty much dumped in my lap and I just took off running because I had been with my husband for almost 10 years by this time and this was the lifestyle that I had grown accustomed to. And when you say lifestyle, explain. Lifestyle meaning that this is how we live. This is how we survive. We were we had started, uh, uh, before I went to L.A., we had started a furniture business here in Philadelphia. But there was a bad drug war that erupted where he sent me and my son to L.A. for our safety. And so, but this was a lifestyle that I had become accustomed to. My husband was in the drug trade. And this is how we lived. He got up every day and went out that door just like someone in corporate America. But he was selling drugs. You were used to the danger associated with it, the people, um, the money associated oh, with absolutely. it. Yeah. I mean, this is how we lived. What entered my mind was, okay, when Auntie, her name was Auntie, who was the connect, when she explained to me how we can do it and I would be safe, I said, okay. When I look back on that now, I was not in my right frame of mind, but this was what I was accustomed to. So I knew there was a way that I could do it living in Los Angeles and conducting business here on the East Coast and be safe. I wasn't living here. Yeah. So I started out conducting business in Philadelphia, and then it expanded. And did I, people know you were running things? Only the people that I was doing business with. So, I was not out here like, I'm that chick, I'm that, no. Because you look very sweet. I Thank you. <laughs> I can be. <laughs> Beautiful hazel eyes, she said here. <laughs> I can be, but I, I was not that girl. I wasn't a girl who... Met you and wanted you to know, hey, I got that thing. I'm not, I was not that girl. And so you did this for several years. Almost five years. Yeah. And so you were literally running the whole operation. Yeah. I I had a woman that was my connect 
auntie, and that's and her and I did business together. And whoever I was distributing to, I did business with them, cash and carry in large quantities, not small quantities. I didn't have corners and I didn't have territories. I didn't do any of that. Mm-hmm. So. And what was the drug that you sold? I started out with heroin and then went from heroin to heroin and cocaine. Because at first you were not in your right mind. Your husband had just died. You're trying to raise your son. At that time, it was, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to stack as much money as I can. And I'm going to make sure my son goes to the best schools because my husband and I had talked about that to provide him with the best education that money could buy. So that was my thought pattern and to make sure that we continue to live in the way that my husband had us accustomed to living. That was my thought pattern. And what was that accustomed? Because well, people, regular folk, you know, don't know what that what that means. Well, back then, this is in the 80s, we were like a middle-class family. We lived in Willenboro, New Jersey. We had a single home. We had a home with a pool. My husband got up every day and went out like someone in corporate America, and I was at home or doing whatever with my son, raising my son. Mm-hmm. And we basically, you, you, if you didn't know, you didn't know. Like our neighbors didn't know. We had nice summer cookouts and parties, like most people had holiday parties. So this was just a job for your husband? Yes. And so you treated it as a job? Yes. And was there a moment where you said, what am I doing? Yeah, after five, almost five years. There were three incidents that happened simultaneously. I come back to Philly producing comedy shows. Used to be a club in Germantown called Morgan's Jazz Club. Robin Harris was one of my closest friends in comedy. And the only two times that he came to Philly to perform was for me. And one was a private party that I had at Morgan's. One night after my comedy event, we went up to a club called Studio West. It was known to be like an OK Corral type club. When we get up there, we find out there's been an argument of two fractions of guys. Little do we know, we're walking into almost a trap. A shootout erupts and my friend Naeem gets killed that night. And another one of our friends dies a couple of days later from the shooting. Several people were also hurt. About and you came out okay. I came out, well, the guy had a shotgun to my head, but it wasn't my time. Two weeks later, someone that I was doing business with gets arrested. Now I'm like, oh, my God. Like, I'm already totally distraught losing my friend. So I contact Auntie to let her know we have a problem. DEA has infiltrated this package. It's going to be a problem. She says, don't worry. I'll take care of everything. It'll be fine. But we'll communicate once a week. Two weeks passed, mid-late August. I hadn't heard from her. And so when I call her house, a female answered the phone, and they knew me. And I asked for her, and they said, you don't know? And I said, no what? She's been killed. She took a ride with someone, and wherever they went on the east side of Los Angeles, everyone in the house was killed execution style. Jeez. So within 60 days, these three things happened. So for me— There's no other options but to stop immediately. So you're in this life. Mm -hmm. These tragic things happen. Mm -hmm. And you just say, you know what? I'm out the game. I'm out. I'm I'm done completely. I had a son who at that time was about eight. I should have never been involved anyway, but I was. And I just felt like I've always felt like there's been angels with me. I always felt like it was my grandmother and my husband with me, walking with me. And probably pleading to God, please watch this girl, you know. And so for me, it was no other. I I didn't give it a second. I didn't didn't hesitate. It was, that's it. I'm over. What is, I used to say, what is my son going to do if something happens to me? He he did have my mother. He did have my father, my siblings. But that's not the same as having me. He's already lost his father. 
What is he going to do? So for me, it was no other option. It was to me, it was very easy. Now, the harder part was continuing to live the way I had become accustomed to living. But that was okay because I had my peace of mind and I had my life and I had my son. So everything else is a piece of cake. You have probably had some savings, but then you had to get a job. I had to get a job. Yeah, I started working temp work. I always went I always went back and forth to work. So I, I knew about working. I wasn't like allergic to working. I knew I could go to work. And my husband used to always say that. Anything that ever happens to me, don't ask my friends for anything. You go to work. So I started out doing temp work at different places. You know, when you do temp work, they say yeah. around. And then I landed a job at District Council 33 as a receptionist. And I liked working. I was comfortable. I was very comfortable. Wasn't making any money, but I was comfortable. And um, I went from becoming the receptionist to one of the legal secretaries there. I worked there a little shy of five years. But while I was there, I learned more about real estate. I became like a sponge in real estate. And so I started doing that. And property that my grandparents had and my mom had, and they would just turn it over to me. And I started getting involved as a landlord and learning about mortgages, doing mortgage processing, things like that. And built a career. And built a career. And now then you started a foundation. Right. I started my foundation after the after I launched a book because what I started realizing after the book came out that I was developing a calling to our women. Yeah. Um, and even men read my book and I've gotten replies from men like, wow, I never looked at it this way because now they're reading from a woman's point of view, being married to someone who was in a game and what we went through. Yeah. You know what I mean? I started learning a lot about what he was doing and how he maneuvered, even though I maneuvered differently. But I got to see both sides. And that's where I came up with the title of the book, With Eyes from Both Sides, because I, I lived a double life. I was that soccer mom. My son played soccer. He played basketball and excelled. And so I would attend soccer games and basketball games, but my beeper would go off from time to time, and I would make sure that transactions were done. And so this is what I did. And I know that it seems really crazy, but it flowed very easy for me. At that time, I, would I do that now? No, under no conditions would I do that now. Because it seemed like it was just a normal thing for you. It was a normal thing for me. Believe it or not, it was a normal thing. And, and I, well, you know, I come from women, strong women, my mother. And even though I come from a two parent household, my mother is a very strong woman. My grandmothers were very strong women. So we I learned and I watched how you multitask as a woman. We, we are built this way. So you multitasking a whole drug deal yeah. sh- dealership. Dealership. So and to speak, and being a mother. That's right. And my son never knew anything and was never around anything like that. Even if I dated people, and I did, I dated people that were involved in a drug trade, my son was separate. And, and I have to say, because there's so many women out here who are in relationships with people that they kind of know doing some shady stuff mm-hmm. and they know, but they kind of act like they don't know they well, have jobs. Here's for the, the most thing part, yeah. about life. You like who you like. People like who they like. You can't stop when you like people, but I try to, I'm not a savior. I, I, I don't profess to be a savior, but I try to tell our women, especially when I'm mentoring and speaking, think about your decisions. Think about the decisions that we're making because one wrong decision can change your entire life for the rest of your life. And even though I don't have a record, I've never been arrested. Because um, I was going to ask you that. I mean, did you did you go to jail? I never went to yeah. jail. I, never, I told my story because I wanted to tell my story. 
it was it was heavy on me, and I wanted to tell my own story. And so that's what I did. People thought I was, oh, she's going to write about this, and she, she's going to write about Jackie. No, I'm going to write about me. I want to tell my story. And so in telling my story, I'm saying to women, listen, no one can tell you who to like. You're going to like who you like. Just be careful and, and try to get as much education as you can, because even if you marry someone in corporate America, he could one day not wake up. What are you going to do? How are you going to be able to provide for your family? You don't want to do what I did. I was blessed. People say lucky. No, I was blessed. Evidently, God had another plan for me. And so I think this plan is for me to reach back and give back and try to help other people. I am not a savior. I'm not trying to save the world. But I'm trying to give people, men as well as women, things to think about. In that game, you're going to lose. You're not going to win in that game. If you've come through and you've made money, you're blessed. But you better stop because you're not going to win in that game. You're either going to jail or you're going to get killed. And especially the element of what's going on today, it's totally different than in my time in the 80s and and early 90s. It's totally different. Are you really unscathed? I mean, your husband was killed. No, mentally, no. I've I've had tragedies that, I mean, I've I've talked to my different doctors, and they're like, you know, you, I don't know how you come through what you've come through. I've I've been blessed. There's yeah. a reason. I don't I don't question it, but there's a reason why. So you now you have this. This is going to be a series. Yes, that it's not going to be like a, a film, but it's going to be an actual series. series, like Queen of the South or yeah. Um, Called Power, Philly Rain. Called Philly Rain. I mean, did you ever think when no. you were living this that it would end up on the no. on the screen no. or that it would be in a book? No. Or that I, knew, I knew, well, once the book came out, I saw the possibilities of a feature film. That possibility I saw. Like, hmm, this could be something. I got something here. But never, ever a TV series. And to be executive produced by Mary J. Blige, Woo! written by the James Twins... Janika and Jashika, they are amazing. They are now like my daughters. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they they grown on Empire because they started out writers, then writer producers, and now supervising writer producers. These young girls are awesome, and I've developed a relationship with them. I'm like their auntie now, you know. And it's just lovely. It's wonderful to just be able to have a story based on your life. It's unbelievable for me to Thelma Wright. Thank Thank you you so much. Next up, her approach to ending violence is to promote peace. How can we promote this positivity? Philadelphia Woman's multi-day effort to build tolerance and understanding. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Flashpoint. I'm Cherry Gregg. Be sure to check out the Flashpoint podcast by downloading the Radio.com app, Apple Podcast app, or other platforms. All you got to do is search Flashpoint KYW. And we here at KYW, we are all about community. And on September 21st, it is International Day of Peace. And one local effort is making sure Philadelphia is focused on building and creating conditions for peace, unity, and justice. The grassroots initiative is made up of individuals and organizations, and they have a number of events coming up to encourage and promote their mission. Here to tell us more about Peace Day Philly is co-founder Lisa Parker. Lisa, welcome to Flashpoint. Thank you so much. So for folks who've never heard of Peace Day, what is it? The International Day of Peace has been around for some time, and year by year it's been growing in terms of involvement. There are cities that participate, organizations, so it goes down to the individual and it goes right back up to the governments. So around the world on September 21st, there are 
many, many gatherings for peace, whether that be related to social justice, whether that be related to interfaith conversation, programs for youth. We really run the gamut in terms of Peace Day activities around the world. Wonderful. And so what what does it mean to, to be promoting peace? That's a complicated question, but we talk about the local dialogue, what's happening on the international level, the national level, and the local level in terms of kind of struggling to see each other as allies, to see each other as fellow human beings. How can we connect to each other as human being to human being? And I think that's something that Mayor Kenny has put forth. I think he's really worked on looking at the immigrants in our city and different factions of our city and saying, how can we be together? How can we promote peace within these different neighborhoods and different communities? Because that's a big thing. We It's so much division. How do you bring everybody together? And so there's a lot of stuff happening. There is. There are over 15 events that are going to happen between September 16th and the 22nd of this month. But we really encourage people to think about how can you create peace in your world? And maybe that's in your own home. Maybe that's in your own school. That's in your own community. We're all for that. Look at what you can do to create more peaceful surroundings. And it's not about an anti-conversation. There are organizations that really work on anti-violence, anti-gun violence, and those are incredibly important in our communities. But we're all about positive peace because we feel like, especially with the youth, if we can promote positive peace and think about how can we work together, how can we be together, how can we promote this positivity that is going to help us create a more peaceful community. And that's what we really need is more peace. And so how did you come to be the co-founder of this in Philadelphia? Well, I'm a Philly girl, born and raised. I grew up in Germantown Mountain area. I went to Temple University. I was a social worker in the city for a number of years. And I learned about Peace Day in uh, 2010. And I was just so inspired by the idea. And I thought, this is my city. Why can we not get more involved in this international effort. What can we do locally? How can we encourage people, organizations, communities locally to get involved, to think about what creates peace for them? Yeah. Have you seen a shift now that people are actually thinking about it in a more affirmative way? It has been definitely in the last couple of years, there have been organizations that are basically coming out to us and saying, look, we want to use this international platform to make our case for more peaceful communities. And we're all about that. So give me a couple of examples of what's going to be happening that people can jump in and be a part of. Well, we'll have a Peace Builders panel on Thursday, September 19th, and that'll be at the Friends Center. And really that's looking at four different folks who have a very different angle on how they build peace. And we're really excited that this year the Philadelphia School District is getting involved We've got a school on September 16th that's doing a march and a rally. And then on the 20th of September, which is a Friday, the School District of Philadelphia is hosting an event which will involve hopefully about 150 to 200 students. And then on the 21st, people ought to participate because that's the International Day. Yes. And we'll be gathering at Rittenhouse Square a little bit before noon to really focus on the international peace connection throughout the world. And every year there's a global minute of silence for peace in all time zones. So we'll be partaking in that and getting involved in that. 
And later in the afternoon, we're doing an, a community event that's in South Philadelphia That's have many different refugee populations that are all going to come together and talk about what makes our community more peaceful. And there'll be health and wellness activities for the kids and some performances. But really, the f- whole focus of the day is um, how can we create peace in our own communities and our own city? Yeah. And do you have tips for people? Because I know that you watch television, you you listen to the radio, you go on the streets. People are so tense and a lot of times lots of arguments and things like that. Absolutely. And we're all about the fact that peace does come from within ourselves. That's the first place. When we relate to other people, when we relate to organizations, when we relate to our city, there are fights that are absolutely worth fighting, but we have to make sure we're centered and we're focused And it's not all about the negativity. And I say this in a cautious way because I think it's easy for people to feel like, oh, that's just kind of Pollyannish positive peace. But we really have seen through the years that when we create opportunities for communities to come together with a sense of what can we do to create more peaceful communities, more peaceful neighborhoods, there's always the positive that comes out of it. There's the connection with different organizations, with different people that we haven't connected with before. And then instead of them being the other, they are part of our community. Absolutely wonderful. And so where can people go get more information? Go to PeaceStatePhilly.org. And we really welcome people to come out and learn something new. Wonderful. September 21st is International Day of Peace. Thank you so much to Lisa Parker, co-founder of Peace Day Philly, for coming on Flashpoint, talking about this issue in the news. My pleasure. That's it for the Flashpoint Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this exclusive content. Please follow us on Twitter. Our handle is Flashpoint Show. You can also follow me at Cherry Gregg. And if there's an issue that makes you hot under the collar, let us know and we'll walk you through the flames. As John Lennon once said, love is a promise. Love is a souvenir. Once given, never forgotten. Never let it disappear. I'm your host, Cherry Gregg. Until next week, thanks for listening.